we see here in this story is there's a, a group of unidentified people. They come up to Jesus, right? And they ask a, a simple question. John's disciples are fasting. You know, Pharisees are fasting. Everyone's fasting. All the religious people are fasting. And your disciples, they're not fasting. They're feasting, right? Jesus was partying, right? People were accusing him of being a drunkard and a glutton, right? We're saying he drank too much and ate too much, right? They're accusing him of that because he wasn't falling in line with, with the religious expectations of the day were, right? He was breaking all their traditions. He was breaking their rules, and the Pharisees in particular had 613 rules in the Old Testament, and they made rules upon rules, right? And so Jesus is breaking them. They're trying to put Jesus in a box, but he can't, he can't be contained in something old. He's something new. And he, even, he made this powerful statement last week, right, where he says, I, didn't, I haven't come for the self-righteous, right, those who think they're righteous, but I've come for sinners. So, right, he's, he's turning their world upside down. And so if you don't know what fasting is, fasting is just a, a spiritual discipline used to create a, a, a sense of need for God, right? It creates this emptiness inside, and, and so you, it, it makes you have to rely on God. And, and fasting uh, is often used for, for times of prayer and seeking out God to answer a, a specific prayer or, or asking just for more God. So there's nothing wrong with fasting. Fasting is also... Uh, been used often in times of mourning and repentance. And, and, and so that's what many people have done. I, I am not very good at, at fasting. Uh, it, it, fasting always helps me see and realize how much I rely on food for comfort. I'm the only one that did a, I did a Daniel fast one time where you can only eat certain things. And I think I'm the, probably the only person that gained weight on a Daniel fast. I was so hungry all the time that I, whatever I could eat, I ate more of it. But, uh, but uh, it, so it, it, it did its point, right? It showed me that my need for the Lord and how much I rely on food for, for comfort and, and strength. But, uh, you know, it, it's this aid for, for, for humbling yourself before the Lord, fasting. That's what it's meant to be. And I just, it messes me up. But John, so John, the baptizer's disciples are fasting. Now, John the Baptist was preaching uh, uh, the gospel of repentance, right? Pre preparation for the kingdom. And so they're, they're trying to make their hearts ready for the coming of the kingdom. They're, 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 they recognize their need for God's grace, for his mercy, and, and that the king is coming soon. So they're preparing it. And so they have a, a, a right reason for fasting and they have good motives now the pharisees didn't have the same motives right the pharisees were about cleansing cleansing ourselves when we clean ourselves it'll make way for the king to come right we have to purify ourselves we got to do better we got to try harder and so the pharisees fasting is more look at me god or or i'm going to prove myself to god they exalt themselves instead of humble themselves and they like to fast so other people can see right and and they even fast so god look at how good i am answer my prayers and 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 that's where fasting can be a, a have wrong motives right it's about 
proving myself or, or earning something for God or putting God in my debt. And, and that was more of their mo- motive. So, and Jesus' disciples, they didn't fast, right? And this is, this is making people upset, right? We see these continual confrontations that Jesus has with, with religious folks. Now, fasting was the essence of the religious spirit, right? Fasting creates this sense of detachment for the world, from the world, right? and separation, and, and Jesus is a friend of sinners. Fasting uh, can uh, promote an atmosphere of like mourning and, and repentance and gloom, right? Yet Jesus is, is feasting, and, and he's fun to be around. He's joyful. And, and so Jesus' his joyful lifestyle wasn't religiously correct at this time. Now, it's important to know that Jesus isn't forbidding fasting here or anywhere else. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you fast, and there's an appropriate time to fast, he says it even verse 20, right? You'll fast in that day, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But he says, but you don't fast at a wedding, right? He gives us this this illustration of of a wedding. When the bridegroom's with you, you don't fast, right? And I just got to... Go to uh, Casey and Adam's wedding this Saturday, right? You don't fast. You don't mourn. You don't, you're not gloomy at a wedding. It's a party. It's fun. There's loud music. You can't even hear anyone talking, right? Uh, the, it, I, I can't handle loud music, but it, it, it was, you know, party and fun and celebration. And, and that's what Jesus is, is, is reminding them of. And, and especially in this culture, they, they understood how, how you don't fast at a wedding. Their, their wedding celebrations lasted all week long, right? Thank God they don't ha- happen like that this day, right? They're already too expensive for one day, right? You'd be in debt for, for your whole life with, with weddings how they are nowadays, especially with the way America tries to commercialize everything. But uh, it was a whole week celebration. So, so they understand how, how big of deal the, the wedding celebration is and, and that you don't fast at, this, at a wedding. And another thing Jesus is doing here is he's making one of the most incredible claims ever made. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the, the God of Israel as he claims to be the, the bridegroom. And he's, he's dis- depicting himself as the husband of his people, which was a, a familiar uh, uh, way God spoke about himself in the Old Testament and continued into the New Testament. So look at Isaiah 54 with me. 54, 5 through 6. And this helps us see how amazing of a claim Jesus w- was making here. He says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Right? So Jesus is saying, I'm your maker. Right? I'm, your, I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. 
I'm the God of the whole earth, is what he is saying. He couldn't have said a, a, a more clear, more powerful claim to be God. Right? If he would have simply just said, I'm God, just do what I say, right? They would have, they wouldn't have, uh, it wouldn't have been that clear. They would have been, well, is he claiming to be God or is he, is he one of many gods? Or, you know, it, that would have been confusing, right? But they understand this. They understand his claim to be God, to be the bridegroom of Israel, right? He's saying, I'm the, I'm the God who spoke to, to Moses through the burning bush. I'm the God that led you out of Egypt. I'm the creator God. And I'm your God. I'm your redeemer. And, and it's no wonder why they're always upset at Jesus who they didn't believe. So he's saying here, when the God of the universe is with you, you don't mourn. right? You celebrate. That's amazing. The, the Holy One of Israel is here with you. And then he says this strange statement in verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is, is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. And so this is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus' death, you know, burial, resurrection, and his, uh, his ascension. Right? He's saying, you know, when I'm taken away from you, you will again fast in that day. Right? We live in that day, the time the in-between time, the time between his, his redemption that he's already done and his future restoration. And so fasting is still a, a legitimate spiritual discipline in this day as we prepare, as we, we make our hearts ready in repentance and in humbling ourselves before the Lord for his second return, right? for his second coming when, when he will restore all things, when he, he says he'll make all things new. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more pain. No more mourning. No more sin in this world. And so until that day, we continue to fast. But when he returns, once again, it'll be a, a, a celebration. Right? And, and Revelations chapter 19 gives us that picture. They didn't know that, that picture, but they knew of that when God comes, it's a celebration. So, what you have to ask yourself is, how do these, the second part, he gives us these two strange parables. How do these two parables connect with this first, you know, this first issue of, of fasting? He gives us two parables to illustrate that Jesus is bringing in the new. So, he gives us these two uh, ridiculous things that you don't know, do, that were very familiar to them in that day. The first one is you don't take an untrunk piece of cloth and put it on an old garment, right? Because when you, when you wash the garment and the untrunk cloth shrinks, it's going to rip apart. It's going to tear it to pieces, right? And the second one is you don't take new wine and pour it into old wineskins, right? The reason they put wine in wineskins was to, to ferment the wine. What it, did, what it did is as it fermented, the, the wineskin would, would stretch. And so he's saying, you don't put new wine in the old, old dry, brittle, stretched out already wineskin. If you do it, it rips and you spill all the wine everywhere. Right? You don't put something new into 
the old. And so Jesus is, is illustrating that I'm not here to just do the old thing that you guys would do. I'm bringing something new. They want Jesus to conform to their, their old ways of doing things, to their religious traditions, their, their religious expectations, and Jesus is breaking them all. And he's saying, I'm not something, I'm not a patch. I'm not new wine to be poured into your old wineskin. Right? And he, and he doesn't join them in their, their religion. And he's saying, I've come to replace religion with myself. In a sense, is what he's saying. I'm pre- replacing the old way with the new. He's bringing in a, a new era of God's grace. He's bringing in the new covenant that was promised. And he's saying here, if I come into your life, I'm not a patch. I'm not new wine and old wineskins. If I come in your life, I will change everything. He changes everything. Right? So he doesn't just come in to, to patch your own old life. He doesn't just come to, to fill in the gaps, to, to uh, help you with what you can't do. One time I had some some missionaries come to my door, and I ask them the, the question, so what does Jesus' death on the cross accomplish? Right? Because they were talking about works versus grace, and, and they are saying, oh, what Jesus' grace does is he fills in the gaps for the rest of what you can't do. So your life, you spend your whole life doing as, as, good, as much good stuff as you can, and then Jesus fills in the rest for you. Right? That's a patch. And Jesus is saying, I'm not a patch. I'm not a patch for your old life. I don't just fill in the gaps. And he's saying, I, and I, I, I'm not something new that just can be poured into your old life. Right? Your old, bitter life, your old, bitter heart, angry heart, broken heart, can't contain me. Right? He's come to, to change the whole you, to make you new, is what Jesus says. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of my favorite verses. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Right? Jesus does away with that old garment, them old wineskins, and, and the new has come. If you're in Christ. Galatians 2.20, another one of my favorites. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Right, so the picture is my old life is is dead and buried with Christ. The, not, the life I now live, it says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Again, there's this old life buried, gone, dead, new life risen with Christ. That's what Christ does. New life. Now. What they were doing there in that day by trying to make Jesus a patch, by trying to just fill in our old life, fill in the gaps for us, is not much different from what we do today. Today in America, right here in our own hearts, we have a, a very, we tend to have a very individualistic gospel, right? 
And, and all that is saying, all that gospel is, is, it says that Jesus is just an addition to my old life, right? Jesus just comes to enhance me, right? To fill in the gaps for me. So most people come to Jesus for, for hope and, and support for their old life. They, they have expectations and goals and agendas of what's important, right? And, and expect Jesus to help us with our own individual life, right? On our path that we are going. So we, and then we, we see him as he, he's just help to get us the things that will fulfill us and make us happy, right? Do you see that, how it's just a patch? It's just new wine and old wineskins. It's, I'm going this way, Jesus just helps me get there, right? Instead of new life. That's an individual gospel, and that's why the, the health and wealth prosperity gospel is so popular in America and even around the world, right? Because it's a, about me. Jesus fulfills me. Jesus makes my life comfortable. And we, make just, we just narrow the gospel down to Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I could go to heaven after I die and I can have a comfortable life now. Right? So the gospel is all about my best life now. It's all about me. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to, trying to destroy that idea right here. He's not an enhancement. He's not a patch. And then what, what happens is when we have this individualistic kind of gospel, we, what we think is, we, what happens is we have desires. All of us have desires, both good and bad desires. But what happens is when we have a, a gospel that's all about me, we, have, we, have, uh, we, we believe we deserve those desires, Right? And especially when, man, I've been really good lately. I'm a good person. So I, I deserve God to fulfill every, you know, selfish desire that I have, right? And so I fast. And I fast and, and see, God, I, look how good I've been. I, I deserve this. And when we, when we have desires that we, we believe we deserve, they become demands before God. And we demand them from God. And, the, and what that leads to, though, is disappointment, you know, because God's good and he doesn't always give us all our idols. Praise God, he doesn't. He doesn't turn us over to our idols, right? And so a lot of times we're, we're discouraged because, God, why won't you give me what I want? And God's saying, hey, no, trust me. I want to give you a new life and I have a whole different direction for, for you, right? So it leads to disappointment. And discouragement. Why, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Right? But they're me-centered prayers. And it leads to, to depression, ultimately. Right? We end up in depression. And that's, a, that's where the individual gospel goes. When it's all focused on you. Right? And so Jesus says, I didn't simply come to help you with your old life. I've come to give you a new life. I haven't come just to simply help you with your old agendas. I've come to give you new agendas. So Jesus really, he wrecks our life. He wrecks our plans a lot of times. But the good thing is, he replaces them with better things. That's a good thing. That's, the, that's why it's good news, right? He gives us better things. 
And we don't always get that, right? In the temporal, we, a lot of times what, just what's in front of us looks so good, but it's deceptive. So the true gospel is that we have a king. That's the true gospel. That's the gospel that Jesus preached, right? Repent and believe. The kingdom is at hand, right? That's, that means there's a, there's a king. And this king has come to, to redeem and restore all things and to restore his kingdom rule, not, over, not, not just over all the creation, but over our lives. The good news is that Jesus has come to rule over us. And he's a benevolent ruler. And, and the great thing is, and what we see here is, that he's come to restore relationship with mankind. Right? He's restoring relationship. And, and, and these people are eating with Jesus. Sinners are eating with Jesus. And they're celebrating because God's restoring. God's invited them, guests, to the party. He's invited them to relationship with the bridegroom of Israel, right? With the bridegroom of, of the church, his people. And that's a celebration. And so another part of the good news is that you're not king. It's actually good news that we're not the king. Because we're not very good at controlling our lives. We're not very good at ruling our lives. How fast does it how how fast do we screw it up, right? Because we're not eternal, right? We don't we don't live forever. We haven't been here before uh, to, from the beginning into the end. Right? You're not king. You're not omnipresent. You're not everywhere like God is. You're not omniscient. You're not all-knowing like God is. You're not omnipotent. You're not all-powerful. So the good news is we're not king, and, and we have a king. So we need to repent and believe because the kingdom is at hand. That's what Jesus, over and over, this just keeps coming back to repentance and believing. That's what Jesus calls us to. And he's serious, uh, he's serious about repentance. Right? Repentance is serious. And when we repent, that Jesus is king of our life, and that's what all of life is all for Jesus is about, right? If he's king, and I'm to repent, I'm going my own way, and, and now I'm supposed to repent, turn around, and submit to his kingship, it means all of life is all for him. Every area of life belongs to Jesus, right? We can't have any areas where we're like, God, this is mine, and this is yours, right? All of life, all of our, our time our, our, our money, our, our, our things, our possessions, we're really just stewards of them. Everything belongs to him. So we need to surrender control and, and trust God. And, and so we need to repent. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that call of repentance is to repent and believe and, and turn to the Lord and humble yourself before him and accept him as your king. So if you've never done that, today is the day, right? You, uh, I, I'd encourage you if you've never repented to, to pray with someone who invited you here or pray with one of us pastors. And then repentance always continues on. Repentance never stops for the believer. 
We repent daily for transformation, right? For sanctification. That's how God transforms us because every week as we hear sermons, God convicts us of new things or, or as we go on during our, our week, we, we fall into some sin or temptation and God, God reveals those things and we keep repenting. We keep coming back and, and surrendering to our King. Confessing our sin before Him and asking, us, asking Him to change us. And that and as we, we just keep coming back, keep coming back to the cross. And then he calls us to believe, right? The, the second part of, of, of that is believe. It, it's faith, right? We got to believe that Jesus is Lord. And all of our, our sin and, and, and negative emotions, our sinful behaviors will, will come from lies that we believe about God. They come from forgetting who God is, and, and, and we start believing that we're God. We start believing that we're king and, and that the world revolves around us. And so we've got to keep coming back. And, and I love the, the four Gs. I'd encourage you guys to try to memorize things, these things. But it's, the first one is that God is, God is great, so you don't have to be in control. Right? Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control. That's part of the, that's the good news of the gospel. He's great. He's sovereign. He rules over all of the universe. Right? There's not one maverick molecule in all the universe. There, he, he's, he numbers the hairs on your head. He knows every leaf that falls off of the tree. Right? He's sovereign. He rules. And the good news for a believer. The reason why we can repent and, and come to him and, and surrender our lives to him is he promises to work everything out for our good. He w- promises to work out all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. That's what God does. That's good news. Even God can use even evil for good in our lives. And it doesn't always feel good. It may not always be the thing that we would choose. That's not a, a prosperity gospel, but somehow God uses it for our good. And that's why we can even enter into to suffering, trusting God that he's working in the middle of that. Right? Because it, that Romans 29 says that he uses it to conform us to his image and likeness. Right? So God is good. I don't have to be in control. I can trust him. I can surrender to the king. Because he's, gonna, he's, he's got control of my life, and he's working it for my good. And he's got me even through the hard times. God is glorious, and Jesus is glorious. right? Jesus is glorious, so I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear other people. I don't have to fear other circumstances. And that's why he's a good king, and I can give him my whole life. Because I don't have to fear. And, and when I think of, of, of glory, God's glory, it, it communicates he's weighty. And so when I think of God as glorious, I think about him as the heavyweight champion of the universe. Right? If you have a bodyguard or you have real, someone really tough, you're not scared, right? If you have the heavyweight champion of all the universe in, behind you, right, he's got your back, you don't have to fear. Right? I don't have to fear people's rejection because I got Jesus accepts me 
Who else can compare? Right? So even if I'm rejected by my family, friends, co-workers for my faith, Jesus accepts me, and, and, and they don't compare. That's like a heavyweight trying to fight a flyweight. Right? They're going to get squished. Right? Who can compare to our Lord? Jesus is glorious. And then I don't have to fear circumstances either. Right? He's the heavyweight champion. He's in control. The good news is that Jesus is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself, right? And that's what, that's what the Pharisees were using fasting for in this story. They're, they're trying to prove themselves before God so that he'll bring in his kingdom and so that he'll accept us. They're trying to cleanse Israel. And the good news is Jesus is gracious, and he doesn't ask us to prove ourselves. The gospel isn't do better, try harder, Get your stuff together, right? The gospel is come as you are. And that's why Jesus was partying with sinners. And it drove the religious folks crazy. It drove them crazy. How can they get in? Look at them. Look at all their sin. Look at how much of a mess they are, the Pharisees are saying. And look at us. We got it together. And the truth is, no one has it together. We're all sinners, right? Our, our, our righteous deeds outside of faith are like filthy rags before God. And God's saying, come as you are. Let me clean you. It's not about what you have to do. It's what I've already done on that cross. And that's what we're going to celebrate you know, next week and is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So Jesus is, is great, so we don't have to be in control. Jesus is glorious, so we don't have to fear. Jesus is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. And the last one is that Jesus is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. Right? He's a good king, and he is the only one that can truly satisfy us. Right? He is king. We, we want our old life with the little Jesus sprinkled on top. But Jesus, that's candy-coated crap right? That's what it is. That's what we want. Jesus saying, I want to get rid of the, the old crap. I'm going to give you a whole new life. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to satisfy you. And you might know what? He's going to wreck your life. He's going, to, he's going to ruin your agendas. But he's going to give you better ones. Yeah. And that's one of the truly hard things to grasp for us because for years we've been told by the world, what we need to buy to be happy, how we need to look to be happy, what we need to wear or drive or what kind of house we, we, we need to be happy. Right? The world's constantly telling us, you need this new technology or, or you need this relationship. And, and so this is one of the hardest ones for us to grasp. And, and you don't get it. You don't even get this until you begin to surrender. You don't even understand this until you do see that. And, you, and Jesus comes into your life and he becomes setting you free and you, you become holding loosely to the things of the world and you become to be satisfied by him. This is one of the great mysteries, I think. And it's, and it's one of the most amazing truths that Jesus does come in and satisfy us and make us content, even 
in the midst of, of hard things and trials and sufferings. And, and that's why we can enter in and be faithful to God and, and do what He's called us to do even when it's harder. Right? Because a lot of times, being faithful to God and sin, the, the immediate easiest thing to do is sin. But sin always leads, and it gets harder. And ultimately, sin leads to death. But it always starts easier, and it looks more pleasurable. And faithfulness to God and trusting Him and surrendering Him, immediately, it looks hard. Like, oh my God, look what that's going to make. That's going to to change some things in my life. That's going to ruin my plans. That's going to ruin my agendas. God, just help me on this path, right? But what happens is, is faithfulness and continued faithfulness, it gets easier and easier as we go. And it leads to righteousness. And it, and it, and it leads to true freedom, right? That's what Jesus says, that if you really want to gain your life, how do you gain it? By helping God fulfilling your agendas? No, you gain it by losing it. Right? That's the good news, is we gain our life by losing it. And so we have this amazing key. And we have this amazing gospel, and it's not about us, right? The gospel centered on the king, this amazing king that we have, and this kingdom that he, kingdom reality that he's bringing in. And so I want to call us to, to, to not just see the gospel as Jesus fulfills me so I can go to heaven after we die, but my life is meant to be lived for this king. And he calls me to, to give all of my life to him that that really changes how you live right one one way has you live really selfishly right it's all about me and the other one is i'm gonna die and give my whole life away for this king and gain it let's pray lord jesus i pray that we would no longer see you as an enhancement as a patch as new wine in our in our old broken lives, Lord, but that we would get new lives from you, Lord. That we would trust you. That you would change us. That you would fill us. That you would help us relinquish the control that we we have over our lives. That we would lay down our fear and fear you alone. Lord, that we would stop working for our righteousness and trust in your grace. Lord, and I pray that we would Know your goodness. Show us that, Lord. Reveal yourself to us. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.